For the week of July 11th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 548, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Cannes, France, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. Sure, throw that in my face. In Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. You know what? The fact <laughs> that I could even say that I am anywhere other than Los Angeles, California, is a it's pretty remarkable as far as I'm concerned. Well, bonjour. Bonjour, Sperling. Uh, merci. You are at con. How is your spitting? Uh, I'm especially good at expectorating. <laughs> Do you know what that's from? Of course, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, yes. Gaston. Gaston, it's Gaston's great, song, yes. The great humorous number by Gaston, that's right. And of course, everybody yes. at Cannes has a protocol, and you have to spit every two days into a cup. That is true. So what, what, yes, that is very true. So yeah, there are a lot of rules at this year's Cannes Film Festival, and they are definitely being applied in haphazard fashion, much as is, you know, you know what it's like here. You've been here and nothing has changed in terms of, you know, you absolutely positively have to enter through door number one, except for all of those times where you absolutely positively cannot enter through door number one, which is when? I don't know. You tell me. It's just, you know, and yet I will say they are doing a great job. Is everybody in a good mood or, or how do they keep the lines from being really close together? Well, you know, they everybody's just jam in in a pen. Well, so how do you get into screenings? Uh, well, we can get into that when we, when we talk about uh, this year's Cannes Film Festival, which we'll be talking about on, on the show, right? Right. We won't be talking about the Emmy nominations. We're recording early Monday morning and those Emmy nominations come out on a Tuesday. So you'll have to look for that next week. Uh, we won't be talking about our bonuses. Uh, but no, the new Amazon I'm, I'm, CEO, Andy Jassy, he was given $200 million in stock awards. That's sort of a welcome wagon gift. Uh, welcome to being in charge of the company. I guess a fruit basket wasn't enough. <laughs> well, and that's we also will, a way, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying. No, don't. Well, then don't. Don't. $200 don't, million. Dollars don't worth say it. it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Uh, don't justify what, what do it or explain it. It doesn't matter. There's nothing to say other than that's abhorrent and disgusting. So anything other than that is wrong. <laughs> okay. And you're not going to say it's. A, you're going to say, well, you know, it only it only uh, comes in over the next ten years. While he was like, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely no, no. no what I was going to say in business, whether it's two hundred million dollars or two dollars, one don't of the care. reasons you give stock options away. I know is it's wrong. Want- no, that's the BS that they've told you. That's bullshit. That is complete bullshit. Don't. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Are you just such a Kool-Aid drinker? You're out of your mind. No, there's no justification. There's nothing to say other than a publicly traded company. It should be against the law that you get $200 million handed to you just for taking a new job. Oh, you're the CEO? Here's $200 million. Good luck. (laughs) It's absurd. What's also well, sad is that, no, there's no well. Richard Donner is dead, and we will be talking about that at the end of the show. But you can also check out our friend Jeff Boucher's podcast for heavy metal. It's called Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. You can find it where all good podcasts are handed out. And I'm a guest on his show talking about both box office, the worldwide box office, and how when you look at the biggest movies of all time, you must adjust for inflation. Sperlin's going to love that episode. And we do a a shout out to Richard Donner. So I hope you'll check that out. But what else are we going to talk about on the show this week other than income inequality? Uh, Well, apparently we're not going to be talking about income inequality, which is not what I was going to refer to or the, uh, you know, basically uh, equity business practices, which is what I was going to refer to. Uh, But this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we've got 
Cinema Francaise, oui! I, as we've mentioned, I'm at the Cannes Film Festival and I've done more spitting the past few days than I've done in my entire life. So no, I was discussed, I, I, I have not been, by the way, disgusted by the opening night film musical Annette, okay? This was uh, starring Adam Driver, we'll talk about it. But, uh, and nor why? have I been discussed, <laughs> why exactly? Uh, nor have I been exposed you know, disgusted by any film. I'm not spitting at the films. I'm just following COVID protocols, which involve a lot of expectorating that word that Gaston likes to use. I'll also explain how the fest is going, whether it feels like old times or a strange new world and tell you, you know, whether, you know, some of these films maybe get picked up, what you're going to see later. I'm going to tell you some of the films I've seen so far and which ones you should look out for. Now, Disney announced that its new film, Black Widow, made $60 million last week. And that's pretty good, Michael, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. It didn't make that at the box office, okay? No, it made it in homes where people around the world paid some $30 extra on top of their Disney Plus subscription to watch Scarlett Johansson kick ass rather than drag their asses to a movie theater, actually. That's, that's what they were doing. Is this a win for Disney, a loss for cinema, or is it too soon to draw any conclusions from these COVID crazy times? On Inside Baseball, we'll dive into the details of Universal Studios. It announced a new theatrical window of not 45 days, not 90 days, but 120 days. Uh, By the way, it's not a theatrical window. That's the thing. We'll get to that. Uh, Yeah, the stuff goes straight to Peacock. So it's still, it's all about streaming, really. Also, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences invited almost 400 new members, including myself. I got the, the envelope. I was very happy. I ripped it open and they said, oh. yes, we'd like you. We'd like you to be a member of our new museum. And I was like, ah, okay, darn it. Uh, now, they, by the way, the new member includes Disney head Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek, of course, uh, you know, if that guy can't get in, then, you know, where's our invite? You know, that's that's my question. Uh, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. But before you begin, Michael, I know you should probably begin by mentioning how many of the punchlines that you wrote for that intro that I totally screwed up. Are you sure you want to be a stand-up comic? Apparently not. And what I should also mention, by the way, Michael, is that I packed everything. I packed my microphone. I packed my laptop. I packed my laptop charger. I packed all the charging cables except for one cable, the cable to connect the microphone to the computer so that we could record this week's show. So if I sound a little echoey, that might be why. Oh, I thought you were recording in a bathroom. No, no. I'm recording in, a, in a, an apartment in Cannes. <laughs> well, it, you also seem to have had an espresso before the show began. Uh, that is not true. I've had four espressos before the show began. I'm running on espressos. Shonda Rhimes just signed a new deal with Netflix on, to- on, the, on the heels of Bridgerton's wild success, and it is a significant race before she's done much and getting new revenue streams. So that's good to know. Uh, Netflix is doubling down on its with major talent. But we're looking at the worldwide box office for the week ending July 11th. Uh, we have a link to Comscore, though uh, they haven't posted yet. Comscore is suddenly in a bit of a delaying, uh, delaying motion when it comes to posting their worldwide box office. I'm not sure what that is, at least online. And uh, I'm not sure if it's up yet still. Where the heck did it go? 
Where no, I don't it? think it is. I mean, look, it's very early when we're recording because I'm nine hours ahead. No, so. but they usually had it on Sundays. Usually, lately they didn't. We didn't have it on Monday last week either. So that's a little interesting. I'm not sure what's going on there. And they missed some movies. They missed, uh, I think, Peter Rabbit two or no. They missed a Quiet Place and The Conjuring were not listed on the worldwide box office. Though I think they should have been. But we pull information from everywhere we can. And the number one movie around the world is, of course, Black Widow. That made $160 million worldwide on its opening week all around the world. It also made $60 million on Disney Plus's premium video on demand. So in countries where it's available on premium video on demand, people could pay roughly $30, at least in North America. I don't know what the price is elsewhere. And they could watch Black Widow in their home. So it made money around the world and it made money at home. We're going to analyze that right now before we get to it. Should we do the other movies first and then come back to Black Widow? That's the big story here. Yeah, the big story, without a doubt, is the fact that not only Black Widow made $80 million in North America, that it's making so much money worldwide. Not a surprise it's a Marvel movie, but that Disney announced how much money it had made on premium video on demand. That is huge. And what does that mean? Uh, I know this for a fact. It means that Cruella or Mulan, or any other movie that was available premium video on demand, did not make $60 million. <laughs> and in the next movie, if they don't tell us what The Jungle Cruise made in premium video on demand, assuming that movie goes PVOD on Disney+, Plus, we'll know that that movie didn't make $60 million. Now they've done this, and now at least we can say, all right, you're not telling us, I guess it didn't do that well, and they may get angry. They may, And of course, nobody else can confirm it, but they, they're a publicly traded company. They can't lie about what it made. But, you know, They've already set the bar. So now we know if they don't announce it, we're going to assume that those movies did not make $60 million. And that's great for opening week. But as a lot of analysts noted, this movie dropped hard on Saturday, much harder than it normally would have. It dropped about 40% from Friday versus Saturday. Even if you, you know, even, even if you adjust for the Thursday night numbers, it still looks like it took a strong dive on Saturday. Does that mean the people who didn't want to go to the theaters, did it at home? Hey, it made $60 million. They would have had to make $120 million at least at the worldwide box office to make that money, uh, to take in that much money of $60 million. However, what does that mean for three months from now, six months now? People are saying, yeah, okay, you made the money on opening weekend, but does that mean the movie won't be as big a movie at the box office? For years, you've been able to make people pay twice to see a movie. They go see it in the theater. Maybe if they love it, they go two or three times, and then three, six months later, they rent it or they buy it on DVD or they stream it or they do some other way to pay for it. You've just removed that second window. You've removed that second opportunity to double dip on people who really enjoyed the movie at the theater. Some of them will just go straight to paying $30. Does that work out for Disney financially? It's going to take a long time to figure out, but I don't think it's rocket science to say, hey, when you make available in their homes, people are less likely to spend $15 to go to the theater. I want to see Summer of Soul. I almost went to see it in the theater, but I have Hulu. It's available for free on Hulu. And you know what? I just felt like an idiot. I kind of wanted to see it on the big screen, but I don't have a ton of money. And I thought, why am I spending $15 to go to the theater? It just, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I think a lot of people are going to make that same decision. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's the whole, uh, you know, if you have a gourmet kitchen, then you're not going to go out to eat kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it, it's, uh, I think people will still go to movie theaters and we're seeing, of course. 
No, of course, but, but we're saying, but, no, but you're going to affect the box office if you make it available in the home at the same time, and they've already paid for it. It's even more so than the $30 you have to fork over for Black Widow. It, no, it's more like you, you won't go out to dinner when there's a meal prepared sitting on your kitchen counter. <laughs> it's ready exact, to eat. N- not That's only that. It, you don't have to do any work. Same, the exact same meal at a lower cost. Yeah. And so exactly. what, what, I, what I would say here is that uh, not everybody that, that rented uh, uh, Black Widow for $30 or however much it costs would have gone to see it in the movie theater. It's roughly about 30% fewer people would have uh, gone. So let's say $40 Dude, million. You can't so- know that. You can't know that. How the hell could you, how could you estimate? Besides, I don't think anybody who's willing to pay $30 to watch Black Widow in their home would not have gone to see it in the theater. That's crazy. You're going to pay twice as much to sit in your home to see it than go to the theater? And no. No, no. Anybody I'm who talking pays- about people with... Kids Anyone who pays like $30 to go see the movie would have gone to see Blackwood is not a children's film. It's not a children's, it's not a kiddie film. It's Russian. It's angry. It's adult. It's pretty adult. This is not for eight-year-old girls. This is an adult film. And anybody paying 30 bucks to see adult, it in the home. not an adult adult film, just an adult film. <laughs> people, <laughs> people would have gone to see this movie who paid $30 to see it in the home. There's no way those people would not but have gone the to way, see the movie. Let's ju- okay, so let's take that, that as uh, so that another, let's call it $60 million. They would have made $140 million, you think, in, in an opening weekend. That would be pretty remarkable. But they only would have made $80 million of that. Right, yeah, but these, no, movies uh, are, these movies are capping out. I mean, Corella's made $200 million. Well, you know, these movies are, are not necessarily, you know, F9 should have made, you know, a billion dollars, <laughs> right? It's at half a billion. You know, where's Black Widow going to end up? And again, you're, you're messing with the system that's worked well for 100 years. Uh, the idea that, yes, they would have had to make more money, but they're cutting the legs out from under these movies. There's not going to be repeat business. There's not going to be that period of in the, at the box office where people would love to see it. And then they go want to see it again when it comes available in the home. They're, they're, they're messing with the system. That- they're getting more money up front, but they're probably, they could well be losing a lot of money in the back and turning movies into just disposable, not a big event, not something you got to go out to see and makes you more excited with a crowd. And that makes you love it more, makes it a bigger event. Who's buying Mulan lunchboxes? Who's having Mulan-themed birthday parties? Nobody. That may not be true. Right. Maybe there is stuff. And if you know, <laughs> right? I mean, if you know that the live-action Mulan has inspired birthday parties and a lot of sales of merchandise, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888 888- Five six seven sand. That's eight 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 five six seven seven two six three. We're also on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. And here's what I what I, you kind of alluded to it, Michael, which is they made sixty million dollars. Disney made sixty million dollars. PVOD, Disney Plus, Black in their Twitter. pocket. In their pocket, they don't have to share that with anybody. Now they have to share it with a, you know they didn't get 100% because of certain deals that are in place but whatever it's mostly going to them theatrically they made 80 million dollars in north america they will keep about 40 45 million dollars so you can see why that's appealing i agree with you long term you are you are making your films less important and that's the problem i mean you can have big hits on tv the mandalorian's a big hit 
It sold a lot of merchandise. There's no reason Black Widow couldn't be an True. event movie in the home, but they're 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 robbing Peter to pay Paul, perhaps. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. But what we do know is Black Widow is the number one movie around the country. It made $160 million at the box office and another $60 million on premium video on demand. And number two is Chinese Doctors, a Chinese drama about the pandemic that made $53 million. Right behind that is F9, Fast and Furious 9. That made another $50 million. That's at $540 million. And guess what? And when it gets to $600 million, as it will, that means they will have hit profitability. That's pretty great. It costs $200 million. They need to make very roughly, you know, $600 million to uh, help us feel confident that that movie is a big, good moneymaker at the box office alone. And that's what they're approaching. They're also approaching their 30-day window. Will F9 go right to, you know, availability in the home? Because it can. It's still making $50 million this week at the box office. Let's wait and see. Right below that is The Forever Purge. That made $19 million. That's now at $35 million. I'm going to pair it with The Boss Baby, Family Business. This is the only time The Forever Purge and The Boss Baby, Family Business, will be talked together. Last week, Boss Baby made $19 million, and Forever Purge made $16 million. This week, Forever Purge had good word of mouth. It made $19 million, and Boss Baby made $16 million. But they're both at $35 million. So we'll see where they end up. Right in the middle of them is 1921, a Chinese propaganda film celebrating the Communist Party's forming in 1921. That made $18 million. It's at $64 million bucks and counting. Below Boss Baby is another Disney flick. It's Cruella. Oh, Boss Baby, by the way, is available on... Is it Peacock? You, no, uh, yes, I believe it is. It's a universal film, so Peacock would make sense. Peacock it is. Right below that is Cruella which made $13 million this week. That's at $217 million worldwide. We don't know what it made on premium video on demand, but we're going to guess on opening week, it didn't make $60 million. Below that is Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, another $12 million. That's at $140 million and counting. And definitely profitable is A Quiet Place Part 2. That made $11 million, and that's at $280 million worldwide. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, made $9 million. That's also a big hit. That made $180 million worldwide. And, of course, it's available on HBO Max. Then, another new movie, Realm of Terracotta, a Chinese animated fantasy about a, a young guy and girl who have to pair up to defeat some dangerous, you know, fantastical creatures. That opened to a modest $8 million. And below that, another animated film. It's The Croods, A New Age. We haven't spoken about that in a while. That's the voice of Nicolas Cage, right? Yes, it is. Uh, right, he is. A, he's got a film at Con. He's got The Croods, A New Age. That movie is reopening around the world, or I should say debuting in territories that hadn't hit yet. So that's why it's back on the charts. It made $7 million this week. It's at $180 million. And they've got the UK out next week and Japan in September. So The Croods, A New Age, is you know, now the theaters are open again. It's reopening in territories it didn't hit the first time. Below that is another new film. It's Tokyo Revengers. This is a live-action film. It's based on a manga, which is huge selling during the pandemic. Sold 25 million copies and counting. That was turned into a TV series, an animated series, and now it's a live-action film. It opened to $6 million. Not a great opening, but it did introduce me to the word freeder. Freeder is slang, F-R-E-E-T-E-R, for somebody who is under or unemployed. Not a student, not a housewife a person who works as, you know, maintaining a home, but a person who would like to have more work or would like to have a job but doesn't have one, they're called freeders. There you go. Never heard okay. it. Okay. 
Yeah. And then a couple movies, five, four, three million, two dollars. Man in Love, the Taiwanese film, made another five million. In the Heights, that just hit $40 million. Boy, did that underperform, no matter how you slice it, because other movies are making money at the box office. In the Heights did not. Luca, that made another four million uh, on your mark. And Hello World, a Chinese film, a Japanese film, chugging along, grasping out another few million dollars. North America had great news, right? We had Black Widow opening. It was the highest grossing weekend in North America since February of 2020. The entire weekend's box office made more than $100 million. And other territories are coming online. Germany reopened and Toronto reopens July 16th. So that North American box office was done without the help of some major, major cities like Toronto. And of course, if you love movies and you love old movie palaces, we got we to gotta wait for millionaires and wealthy people to save us from them all being destroyed. Quentin Tarantino bought the Vista Theater in L.A. He already owns the New Beverly. So if he's wondering what he's going to do when he stops making movies, he'll be making popcorn and tearing tickets. Wait a second. He's he's not uh, buying the theater. I thought he is uh, he is programming. He bought it. He, he bought, bought the it. Vista. The- OK, no, he bought the No, he bought the Vista Theater in L.A. He's going to be showing film only, no digital. They're going to do new releases when a film is made, you know, when film is made possible, available to them and classics with two week engagements. So it's going to be a combo of new and revival. OK. House. There you go. Yeah, maybe we should consider that. Yeah, why not? Let's buy a theater. No? Let's buy All two right. theaters. You know what? You get a theater and you get uh, a theater. Everything is in flux. And uh, the award seasons are, you know, getting geared up for next year. And everybody's trying to clarify their rules because the pandemic year, everything was thrown into, you know, confusion and disarray. So starting in t- the next year for 2022, the Directors Guild has said, yes, movies must have a seven day exclusive theatrical run in North America before appearing on any other platform. If you don't, you ain't eligible for a what DGA. What about the Academy of the Golden Globes? The Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and nobody cares. Well, so. <laughs> the go- well, yeah, well, that's that's my point. They've they've tweaked their rules to say, okay, we're going to get rid of the stupidity. Any movie is eligible for top drama or top musical and comedy. So even if you're not an English language film, or even if you're an animated film, you can't compete for their top prizes. But nobody cares right now. That's why the Critics' Choice Association is launching an international branch and the World Movie Awards for non-English language movies. They smell blood in the water. Will they be successful? Can they have a TV show? Will people give them money? Wait and see. But what's happening at the Academy Awards? Well, uh, you know, that's my question because the eligibility seems to remain, you know, uh, all over the place. Loosey-goosey, as you would say. uh, And it's probably... uh, Look, it's a year of vaccination, so what are we going to do? I, apparently, they're going to allow streaming again and then revisit it next year. They're back to 10 Best Pictures. Well, right, that's 10, cool. 10 Best Picture nominations, ten. sorry. Right, they're not going to have a fluctuating number, which I like, and I think there are 10 worthy films. That's the way it was in the 30s and the 40s. There's no reason not to go back to it. There's right. more movies being made than ever. They can fill 10 slots respectively. Doesn't mean they will choose the best 10 films, but they have that chance. So the, the eligibility is in flux. You're going to get away with streaming for at least one more year. The 10 Best Picture nominations will be there. And they also changed the ruling on scores. Uh, you only need to compose or use music throughout 35% of the film to be eligible for best score. And apparently they're taking a night the Sparks Brothers in their movie in Cannes and saying, all right, look, you can only submit five songs for best song. I don't know why this rule needs to be made. I don't know who is submitting 10 songs for best song. And if they did, who cares? But 
oh, well, I guess it, it saves trouble with processing it all. But for some reason, they made that ruling. You can only submit five songs for best song. Well, I'll tell you, you know, since you mentioned the Spark Brothers, I will. And since you don't want to talk about Annette, which was the opening film here in the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and, and a it, classic one, a classic opening film where you go, whoa, OK. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> it's French. Like, it, yeah. It's French. Starred Marianne Cotillard. It's as a as a soprano. It starred uh, Adam Driver as a, a kind of a weird stand up comic. Uh, and it was a musical, so it was kind of like operatic, and the Sparks Brothers did the music. And I will say, here's my here's my gut. I would say that it, the first song of the film is one where they're addressing the audience and starting the film, mm -hmm. and it's called "May We Start." And they, you know, they're and that will be the opening song at the Oscars. Is that what you're saying? That would be if that song gets nominated. Boom, you're done. Just use that as the use that. And have, Ad, and have Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard open the Oscars. Right. Why wouldn't you? I mean, granted, the oh, film, good prediction, I'd good be prediction. shocked if the film <laughs> gets any love, but no, still. It, well, it might maybe that song, but yeah, that's the, then. Well, we shall see. It's, it's anything is possible. And at the Academy Awards, they are trying to change things. They invited almost 400 new members. What? They, they invited 395 new members. I'm like, really? You couldn't find five more? We're available. They invited Robert Pattinson, Andre Day, Stephen Yoon. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, do you know how to say his name? The actor Steve, from uh, Steve, The Walking Steven Dead Yoon and Steven Minari? Yoon. I thought it was Stephen Yoon or Stephen Young. I don't know. You okay? Know. I'll have to look that up. I apologize to Stephen. Uh, but 89 of the people are, are nominees. They've been nominated for Academy Awards. 25 of them are Academy Award winners. People, if you get nominated, you should be invited to be at the Academy Awards. You should be a member automatically. 53% are international, representing 49 countries. 46% are women. Not good. 39 people are underrepresented or ethnic racial communities, people of color, basically. And here's what blew my mind. They've invited Disney head Bob Chapek to be a member. He wasn't a member before. <laughs> you got to be well, the no, absolute head of Disney. No, they tend not to have executives, too many executives in their ranks. So they try to leave it to artists. They do have uh, non-voting members and they have uh, members at large. And that's probably where he's, you know, he's. Not. I wouldn't expect every exec at every studio, but I would expect the four or five people in the top slots to be invited. I would. You're at Universal or Disney or Warner Brothers. You're one of the two or three top execs at the company and you're not a member of the Academy. That doesn't seem very smart. I'm not talking 100 execs, but Bob Tapic was the number two guy at Disney. They had 40% of the box office last year. He was not a member of the Academy? That's crazy. Well, you know, he, motion picture arts and sciences, and I think he was mostly on the television and video, and he was not really in the film world until recently. Uh, so that might be why. Now, what is interesting to me is that Nathan Lane was also invited. Now, this is a guy with a, a storied career, both on Broadway and in theater and, of course, movies, uh, as, was, yeah. as were some people who have mostly television credits. And to put those side by side, it's kind of like a very odd mix. It's like, OK, Nathan Lane, first of all, you weren't a member of the Academy. What? How is that even possible? But uh, haven't you been nominated for an Academy Award? I think. No, no. No. Okay. For the bird, for the birdcage. Maybe I, I can't remember. That, that would yeah. be it. Yeah. He's all been in almost no hit films. He's, he doesn't yeah, have true. a good film career. Yeah, I guess a lot of people mention that as well. All but, right, but again, you're 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 bitching about television, and 
you know, everybody's working in TV now. That's where all the money is. That's where everything's happening. I mean, he was in The Producers, but that was not a successful film. No. He was in Mouse Hunt. Oh, he should have been in for Mouse Hunt. He should have been in for Mouse Hunt. He did voice work. He, of course, was Timon in The Lion King for voice work and did Stuart Little. So he has much better success as a voice actor. And, of course, The Birdcage. Uh, some people like that. So, yeah, you know, he's had enough film credits and certainly he's such an acclaimed stage actor. You think they would have just invited him in anyway? Yeah, no, I, but I no, thought he it wasn't it. to be. Yeah. So you're a con. You're I not am. a member of the Academy, but you are a member of the con film festival. How's the spitting going? Do you have to watch people spit? No. Okay. Do so they, they spit in front of you. Okay. I would like to commend the film festival because when we all got here, getting here was not easy. Uh, sure, you could be on a plane, but to get into France, you needed this document and that document and this test and the other test and the vaccine card and the you had to get a PCR test within 48 hours. This was the, the thing. Get to get a PCR test within 48 hours of getting on your flight, but since it takes about a whole day to get here, to pick up your badge, you needed a, a PCR test within 48 hours. So there was no way to get the PCR test to get on the flight and to get into the Palais to get your badge. So I had to take two PCR tests two, one day apart uh, just to kind of time it properly. Uh, and they have a, a, a whole tent set up where there are usually market tents, where there's usually the, the tents for pavilions from around the world. They have like, you know, the, the film agencies from, you know, South Africa and Ireland and Scotland. And, and you can go in there and find out what it's like to film a movie that in, in those countries or, you know, meet producers from those countries. Instead, they have a tent set up for, from the bio group and you schedule a time online. And you then show up at your designated time, show the QR code that was emailed to you. Uh, you are then given a little vial and a little booth, a little tiny booth. It doesn't have a back, but you can face the, the wall. And you're sitting there spitting into this thing and spitting into this vial. And then you, you know, screw the top on. And then you go and you hand it in. And, and it took a while. Took about the first two days when results would come back within 24 hours. Now they're coming back within six hours. And you get a QR code. That you have to show when you enter the, the Palais. To, and the Palais de Festival is where all of the events happen, whether you're in the Debussy oh. Theater and or whether you're in the Lumiere Theater. Ironically, both the Debussy and the Lumiere, you do not need to show uh, sanitary protocol, uh, you know, negative tests because they're movie theaters and you don't need to do that in France. You only need to do that to go into the Palais de Festival itself. This year, however, there's very little reason to go into the Palais de Festival. The press boxes, <laughs> the press boxes, which, Michael, as you re might remember, is where you get all your press kits and all of your invitations and your, your notes for the next And everybody screen. shoves together and you network with people. What did you think? That sort yes. of thing. Yeah. 100% gone. There is not a press box. There are no papers. There are no anything. Huh. I mean, it's just everything is electronic this year. Uh, of course, that was done to prevent people from congregating. If you are indoors, you are wearing a mask, period. Right. You're not allowed in without putting your mask on. You are not allowed to sit through a screening without wearing a mask, which makes perfect sense since we are shoulder to shoulder here. But I, but I saw that during the uh, film premieres, the ones you don't attend, but the public ones, that the, the, the stars were not wearing masks. That was the very first screening, and, Annette. And let me tell you, there was uh -huh. so much backlash from that that even uh, Thierry Fremont, who traditionally wasn't wearing a mask the first two days, even he started wearing a mask indoors now. And let me tell you, they got so okay. much backlash for that, that, it, that 
th- there was a, a mandate by the festival. Hey, you're a big movie star. Congratulations, Tim Roth. Put on your mask. It was not like, <laughs> it was, yes, when they walked the red carpet for photo calls only and the red carpet, the tapis rouge and the Monte de Marche, people take their masks off and only mm-hmm. the stars and the filmmakers and l'équipe du, du film. Uh, then as soon as they walk through those palais doors, the masks go on. And they have okay. been averaging and about the market- three cases of COVID. They've identifying right. three per day. Yesterday, none, no cases for the past. So we're not days. Get, we're not getting any we're not getting any clusters. So that's a good thing. But the market is empty, right? The market has gone virtual. People aren't even showing up for the market. There are no booths. There's like maybe ten booths. I mean, it's, there's there's no reason to go into the Palais because there is no market. So you're right. There is a market. So don't get me wrong. There is a market taking place. It's half virtual. And there's also some stuff going on here in Cannes, but it is nothing like uh, it usually is. And they say that there's about 30% fewer people here accredited. There's about 30,000 people here instead of 50. And I would say those 20,000 are all market attendees that just didn't come. Ah. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a crop of films, but so far they're not getting much love. There's no movie that's broken out that people say this is a great film. Right. So there was Annette, which uh, Leos Carax. Right. Poor, poor, yeah, poor, poor reviews. Poor reviews. but poor reviews. I'm sure you're you're upset with me for even mentioning it again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, we don't need to mention all the bad movies. Basically, there were no movies that got great reviews. No, there th- no movies that got great reviews. Certainly, I liked uh, uh, Everything Ended Well or everything went well. This was uh, the, uh, uh, why can't I remember his name now? It's not Olivier Assayas, but it's Francois Ozon, his film, which is uh, a euthanasia film. It's a film set around euthanasia. Uh, and it's very uh-huh. well told uh, and very engaging. I could see people faulting it for, oh, it's too melodramatic. It's a melodrama, but it was very well done. And it's about two sisters uh, when their father asks that, ask them after he has a stroke, Hey, help me, uh, help me kill myself. And they're like, what? No, we don't want that. <laughs> no. Uh, and so and he, you know, he tells this story. It's, it's a very nice story as is. And I can't, I, I don't know whether this is the, the name of the film, the worst person in the world or the worst woman in the world. Uh, both could be the name of this film. It's Joaquin Trier's film. You might recall his movie, uh, August, uh, Oslo, August 31st was, uh, right. One of his past films. Uh, he's done a, a number of English language films as well. This one is about a, it's told in 12 chapters. It's about a woman who is, doesn't know what she wants in life. And she is, uh, falling in love and then breaking up with uh, a man. And then she falls in love with a very well-known, uh, graphic novelist and who is, 20 years older and you know, that's almost a misnomer, a well-known graphic novelist, but, right, anyway. but, but <laughs> and, and, and he break, you know, breaks his heart because then he, she meets somebody else and like, Oh, you know, and, but it is, it was actually right. very well told and very well made. Uh, and it's fine. It's good, but it's not great. Yeah. That was so far. One of the better ones, the Sean Penn flag day, not even worth mentioning. Uh, although I just did. Uh, the Japanese the, the trade said his daughter was excellent. I yes, think it was his daughter was one very of the good. trade said his daughter is a star. Well, she's the lead, isn't she? Yes, she is the lead. Uh, the movie is not well mm. ne- necessarily okay. well made. Uh, compartment number six, the Russian film takes place on the Trans-Siberian Railway, uh, but it is a very talky movie and it has a lot like right, you, we're need still, to, we're, you're, you need to know your Russian, basically. But, we're still waiting for a great movie to break out. Yeah, you're, what we're still waiting for is Parasite. 
And that doesn't happen every year. You don't get a parasite. Yes, it does. Every year I see three or four of the best films of the year at the Cannes Film Festival. If you go and you see as many movies as possible, you will see at least three movies that deserve to be on your best of the year list. You do not go to Cannes and see nothing. There are almost always you will see at least three movies that deserve to be on your best of the year list. It happens every year, whether people say it's a great year or a terrible year. When you look back, you say, well, this is on my best of the year list. It's that good a movie. And I saw it first at Cannes. That hasn't happened yet. We don't need it's not lightning in a bottle to see a great movie at Cannes. It happens every year. Hopefully it'll happen for you. Well, at least the pizza is good, I hope. Yes. Well, just to finish off the, the, the films. A couple of points to make. One, lots of social commentary. There's always social commentary, but boy, is there a lot of social yeah. commentary in these movies. Uh, and and a lot of uh, films about climate change. So a ton of, like, they even have a special section for climate movies and a special uh, press conference mm-hmm. for filmmakers talking about the climate uh, environmental concerns. Uh, that That's kind of interesting. That's the first time uh, that that's really happened. Uh, one film that has been seen so far that people are now talking about, Bergman Island. So you have to know your Bergman. Mia Hansen Love's film take, is set on the island where Ingmar Bergman, the Swedish filmmaker, lived and worked. Lived and, worked. and it's a film within a film within a film. It's, it's gotten polite reviews, it's gotten, yeah. but I don't see any love for it. Not but, you know, I've seen polite reviews. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so people are talking about social justice and they're talking about the climate crisis at Cannes and social justice and the climate crisis continue. We've got some Hollywood news. Bill Cosby, while you were away, he was released from prison. He has not been exonerated or found not guilty. No new evidence has come forward to say, oh, wait, he's innocent. No, no, no. He has still credibly been found guilty of drugging and raping dozens of women who have come forward dozens 60 women have come forward about this so he has been released from prison because a secret deal was made with a prosecutor a very unusual deal that's highly controversial it should never have been made but there you are that happened and uh, that's uh, you know a sad end to a sad career james franco paid two million dollars to former acting students of his for sexual misconduct Will that put it behind him or will people not want to work with James Franco? Allison Mack, the star of Smallville, was sentenced to three years in prison for her key role in a cult. And Britney Spears spoke out in court. And suddenly everybody who's been involved with her for years and making money off of her says, what? I have nothing to do with this. I don't want to be anywhere near this. Everybody's running for the for the exits. Well, didn't her, her, manager, the- her manager like left her, right? Her manager has been with her since the since, you know, baby you know one more time he's been with her for many decades he says he hadn't spoken to her for two and a half years and i'm like were you cashing a check you know you hadn't spoken to her for two and a half years doesn't that seem weird he says i guess she wants to retire so i guess she doesn't need me anymore now he had a long history with her i don't want to assume he's been awful in these last few years but that's bizarre you haven't spoken to her for you've known her for 20 plus years and you haven't spoken to her in over two years and you're still her manager, and you still don't speak to her, and you think she wants to retire, so you're going to quit? Like, why don't you pick up the phone and talk to her? But her father's blaming the other conservator. The mother's blaming the father. The father says the mother's wasting this money. The wealth management company, Bessemer Trust, that was about to overtake, oversee her estate, they're like, uh, we want nothing to do with this. Her court-appointed lawyer quit. They're fighting over increasing security 24-7. And a major Hollywood lawyer has spoken with Britney and is going to approach the court about becoming her lawyer and taking an active role with her in concert with her to take back her life and her career. So 
And we're going to be reading about this for a long time to come, but it's kind of weird and crazy. That's for sure. Would you say it's a big deal? Uh, I would, except I would also say there will probably be a 10 part documentary on some streaming service. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> because true. we do have to talk about well, streaming for just a second. There was a documentary. Well, I know there was, there was a short on the New York Times website, but I'm saying there will be a multi-part, you know, behemoth that someday okay. because it's so fascinating. But we do have a little streaming news. A, uh, a lot of stuff is going on in the world of streaming. Countries around the world are regulating streaming. They want to, you know, put restrictions on them. In France, Netflix and Amazon must invest 25% of the revenue they make in France in local content. Uh, they've also shortened their theatrical window from three years to a year, 12 months. That's still way too long, but it is an improvement. So they're saying, if you show you show a movie in theater, you have to wait 12 months before you put it on a streamer. Well, that's better, but still not quite, you know, they're up to the 20th century, but they haven't entered the 21st century yet. And under new rules, Netflix would own the rights to their local work for just 36 months rather than forever. That's in France. So after three years, the rights would revert to whatever producer they partnered with, assuming there is one. In Italy, they want to block the streamers from buying any IP rights to Italian stuff. And in Spain, they point out, well, we might make new rules about content and local content, but Netflix already creates more local content than any requirement that the government might come up with. They're already generating a lot of content. In fact, in Europe, a new study by Ampere Analysis that we found on rapidtvnews.com, they're a pretty good source of some offbeat information. Netflix is the top producer of scripted content in Europe. They have passed Germany this year and what the UK contributed last year. They backed 72 scripted shows in 2020. Germany's ZDF did 55. The UK's BBC did 54, though they had 71 a year earlier. Uh, France TV did 38. And Germany's ARD did 33. So Germany is a country, of course, and there are other people making content in the UK. But as far as a single producer, Netflix is the number one producer of scripted content in Europe. So kind of fascinating. And we do have a new chart. You can check it out. The top 10 uh, streaming things on television. Uh, Ray and the Last Dragon is in the top 10 because it's now available out of that window, PVOD. If you have Disney Plus, you can now watch Raya and the Last Dragon. So that's in the top 10 along with a bunch of other stuff. Check it out. Well, Okay, and when you do, let us know what you think. Should I repeat the uh, dirt at showbizsandbox? No, okay. That, that, that no, would... no, you should make the big. You should make. You should make a big deal reference. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm here. Is my big deal reference? Is that good enough? Okay. Or no? Oh, oh yeah, that no. was great. That was great. Can you tell him jet lagged? <laughs> no, you've been there for a week. You have no right to be jet lagged. Uh, yeah. It's time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. What's our first story, Sperling? Well, ABC's daytime current events chat show, The View, is facing another cast change. Meghan McCain has carried the banner for conservative of conservatism for, I guess, four years now, but she's decided to move on and asked out of her contract two years early. The reason given, what do you think it is? Well, McCain and her husband moved to Washington, D.C. during the pandemic, and she just doesn't want to move back to New York City when the show returns to filming in studio instead of via Zoom. Regular guest Anna Navarro is also conservative and seems a likely fit on the show, but ratings have been very strong in the last four years, and unfortunately, it's probably due, at least in part, to McCain's headbutting with 
Joy Bahar, and now most recently with Whoopi Goldberg. Will the show be hurt by her departure? And is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's Joy Behar. I think it's a big whoop because they've had so many cast changes in the past. That's not to downplay the uh, sparks that fly when Meghan McCain is there. She really has not seemed very happy in the last few years. She married right-wing commentator Ben Dominic, who's really a bad person. Sorry, Meghan. And she seems to have really tilted more and more right-wing in the last few years. She's always been anti-Trump, but she's gotten pretty radical. She seems like she would fit much better on Fox News. So, you know... The show will survive. They always have. Rosie O'Donnell brought big ratings. Uh, Megan McCain brought big ratings. Uh, it's it's an interesting show. They got a lot of big politicians and deal makers in the in the political year. So we'll see what happens, but they'll be all right. You know, it was a pandemic. Okay, so many mm-hmm. people stayed home from work and school. We couldn't go out and couldn't go to the Cannes Film Festival, that's for sure. Instead, apparently, we read comic books. In 2020, sales of comic books in all formats rose 6% over 2019, hitting $1.28 billion. Holy chart toppers, Batman! That's a lot of comic books! Not so fast there, though. (laughs) The breakdown by format is interesting and shows single-issue comic books are the heart of the industry, but not its biggest seller. That would be graphic novels, which hit $835 million. Traditional single-issue comics sold $285 million worth, and digital comics hit $160 million. Wow. The big increases came in bookstore sales versus comic book stores and graphic novels over single-issue comics. Since many stores were shut or sharply curtailed, the fact that single-issue comic book sales fell only 20% may actually be a positive thing. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, I think it's a a big deal that they're still growing. Um, I think it's good that... uh I'm always reading graphic novels. That's where I read them. Like we had Porn Sack Pichotiche. <laughs> Porn Sack Pichot was on our show promoting The Good Asian. That's in the midst of coming out. V- issue three of four just came out in July. And then the next one comes out in August. And then right away, the trade paperback comes out in September. I've actually been buying the single issues to support him since he was on the show. And I liked what I read. So I've been buying those individual comic books. I've almost never done that. And then it comes out in paperback on September 28th. And that's where a lot of people will step in and say, okay, I've heard good buzz about this. I'm going to buy this book. That's the future of comic books, I think, rather than single issue sales. But you need those single issues to be able to launch stuff and get the collectibles and test things out without a huge commitment. So uh, it's interesting to see it's uh, comic book stores. They're holding on. I don't know how they do it, but they're still there. And I hope they will be for years to come. Well, I'm not going to be here for years to come because I'm going back to school. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to the Yale Drama School, which just accepted a huge donation. Yeah, they just accepted a huge donation from movie producer David Geffen. He gave the school $150 million, actually. In response, they're naming it the David Geffen School of Drama at Yale University, because that doesn't have too many words in it. Uh, for just $15 million, we'll rename this podcast, by the way, David Geffen. Well, and here's what we're thinking. The David Geffen Showbiz Sandbox Podcast. What do you think? I like it. I like it. For $15 million, I love it. Yeah, we'll also use his name positively in a sentence at the beginning and end of each episode. Seriously. No, seriously, David, get, get in touch. Yale is also making one major change to the school. You won't have to pay tuition if you get accepted to the David Geffen School of Drama. That's right. No $32,000 a year to learn your craft. They're following in the footsteps of the Yale School of Music, which eliminated tuition in 2005. 
room and board, of course, is another matter. You got to pay to eat and sleep somewhere. Uh, is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a it's a big deal. It's a it's a useful donation in the terms of ending tuition, but you really got to include room and board. You know, like oh, you only have to pay thirty thousand a year to attend. Well, great, that's still too much for ninety nine percent of the world. <laughs> you know, but it is a good step in the right direction. I don't know why they charge anything at at the at the Ivy League schools. They have such huge trust funds, such huge endowments that to me it seems ridiculous. Their graduates donate money to them. To to me it's just ridiculous that they still charge tuition and room and board, but what do I know? The Substack newsletter format is a big hit. So, you know, naturally others will follow. Facebook just launched Bulletin, its own newsletter with bold faced names like Malcolm Gladwell and Tan France and our good friend, Jeff Boucher of the heavy metal mind space podcast in the mix. You mentioned uh, Jeff at the beginning of the show. The idea for journalists and thought leaders is that you get your audience to subscribe to your newsletter and leverage that into subscriptions and make actual money as newspapers and magazines continue to go, well, you know, up in flames. Thanks to Facebook and Twitter, actually, they're going up in flames. So (laughs) go figure. The Facebook model is to not take a cut of any money writers make. So they're doing it perhaps as a community service, said Mark (laughs) Zuckerberg. And this is what Mark Zuckerberg said. There has to be a way for writers to make a living that's sustainable in the long term. Thanks, Mark. We needed you to tell us that. Uh, yeah. Substack charge- a- after after he destroyed newspapers and magazines and the journalism industry. Yeah. Now he says, oh, gosh, it'd be nice if there was a way. <laughs> yeah, especially since, you know, once you all go out of business, what will people share on my on my social network? Uh, Substack charges a 10 percent fee of subscriptions while Twitter's review takes 5 percent. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it seems like PR more than anything, although they also recognize, hey, other people aren't supporting content as much anymore. We better step in or there won't be any content to share. And of course, they're going to have a huge advantage because they will be pushing all the stuff in bulletin through their newsfeed. So you're going to see this popping up on your screen anytime now. We'll have to see how it works. Well, speaking of how things work, that's kind of what we're going to be discussing during Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball is our segment where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. And here's how this week's story will affect you. You will be able to see Universal Movies on Peacock, at least in the United States. Well, we knew that would happen, but the question is, have I misunderstood the story? I read it well, I read it carefully. I've read the trade papers for decades, and I think I read the phrase pay one window, this reference to the pay one window, more often in the last week than I have read in my entire life. I was very unfamiliar with the idea of the pay one window, and I read the trades pretty assiduously. So if that phrase was used before, it was used in passing, not explained well, and wasn't brought up very often. In fact, there's a lot of windowing that I'm a little unclear on, but my understanding was that they set a 120-day theatrical window before it goes to Peacock. Did I misunderstand this? Here's what they're saying. They're saying that a theatrical release will be on Peacock exclusively. It will only be on Peacock. So let's just use Jurassic, the next Jurassic World movie as an example, because it's easy. Uh, The next Jurassic World movie will be exclusively on Peacock to stream no later than four months after the film debuts in theaters. Right, so it has a theat- right, right. It has a theatrical window of 120 days, and then it goes to Peacock. It has a 
theatrical window, period. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an exclusive theatrical window for 120 days because they might decide to put it on Peacock within 30 days, which would be within that 120-day window that you're referring to. What? No, that doesn't make any sense. That's not 100. They said they said no later they than Peacock. No later than 120 days. Now, why is that 120-day window important? Because that is when output deals take effect. Okay, and that's right, but they they weren't but they they weren't announcing that they're gonna do it day and date. They weren't announcing no. it will be on Peacock in thirty days. They weren't announcing it would go on Peacock in forty five days. They said we're we're gonna wait probably a lot of times until one hundred and twenty days. If a movie's out of theaters, they might go to ninety days. But they they could have said forty five days, and they didn't. They chose to say one hundred and twenty days. So they're clearly wanting to make the idea that there will be an exclusive theatrical window. This that had, theater owners can support. This this announcement had little to do with theatrical and way more to do with the fact that what they're really signaling here and this pay one, you are absolutely right, Michael. Pay one, the pay one window is not one that you hear very often. It is one that goes from 120 days out of theatrical release and it goes through, uh, I want to say the first year or two, like year and 18, year and a half. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much in that window. They're saying we're going to be exclusive for the first four months of that pay one window, 120 days plus. And we're going to be exclusive for the last four months. In between, there's a 10 month right. gap. Okay. And you could, so it's an 18 month window and you can do, you know, we'll give it to they, Amazon. We'll give it to, we'll give well, it to. They, they made multiple deals. First, they announced that we're going to be supporting theatrical. We're not going to rush it to Peacock in 30 days or 45 days. They, you, you said they have an out. They can do that if they want to, or if they the movie can. collapses, but, but they, but anybody can basically, but they're saying we're not looking to do that. We're not looking to put stuff on Peacock in 45 days. We're looking to have a four month window within a few days. They announced more deals. So here is how it would go with a big movie that succeeds at the theater. Jurassic world opens in theaters for four months. After four months, it goes to Peacock as an exclusive. After that, it goes to Amazon Prime, who during for 10 months, who signed a deal to get new Universal movies starting in 2022, as well as access to a chunk of Universal Library titles. Not everything, because those are on Peacock, but they will get select titles of Universal Library stuff and new movies for a 10-month window. So that's eight months after a movie comes out. If, if Jurassic World comes out in May, June, July, August. In September, it hits Peacock. October, November, December. In January, it hits Amazon Prime. Now, 10 months after that, it goes back to a, being a Peacock exclusive for another four months. And then after that, IMDb TV signed the TV window. Eventually, of course, movies hit theaters and streaming and DVD and video on demand and all that. And eventually, they would go to broadcast or cable. Well, IMDb IMBD TV, this is their new, you know, internet movie database. They're launching a TV channel. They've got Judge Judy coming and they are the first AVOD. That means a video on demand supported by ads. You don't have to pay for it. You just got to watch ads. They're the first one to sign this TV window deal. They've signed a deal that they get access to universal movies that normally would have gone to a broadcast network or a cable channel like TBS or something. So that's where IMDB steps in. So four months in theaters, four months at Peacock, 10 months on Amazon Prime, another four months exclusive on Peacock, 
And then eventually it goes instead of to TBS or CBS, it goes to IMBD TV. IMDb. That's like it might have gone to Hulu. It might have gone to, you know, it might have gone to Mo- it might have gone to some other some other, you know, advertised supported video on demand like like uh, Fubi or whatever these are all called. You know, they're all new. We're just getting used to them. They're out there. And so that's happening for that. So that's my understanding. Four months in theaters, four months on Peacock, 10 months on Amazon Prime, back to Peacock, and then onto IMBD TV. Uh, Basically a streaming service that you can get for free. IMDB.TV. IMBD. IMBD. Internet movie. Oh, oh, I'm reading it wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm I like, wrote it down wrong. I go, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. It's right here. But I wrote it down wrong. My apologies. Okay, Internet so here's how it's database. actually, here's what's actually going to happen. The movie will open. That's to, not going to happen? No, here's what's going to happen. So the movie will open and I'm going to use $80 million since we just ha- we have a new, a new one. The movie will well, open to $80 million it, theatrically. Okay. And it will play 30 days. So it's going to play at least 45 days exclusively in theaters on day about 50 or maybe even 46 they're going to allow it to be uh placed on premium video on demand or even just video on demand at that point it will have its run to about it could be 90 days could be 95 97 it's definitely not going to be more than 120 days at that point why, it will, why are you why are you not taking them at their word no no this if is they exactly wanted to announce a 45 if they wanted to announce a 45 day window they could have no, this they has nothing not to, to do. This has nothing to do with theatrical and everything to do with the pay one window. That that is what this announcement is about. It has nothing to do with theatrical, other than to say theat- the theatrical release is the start of the 120 day. Well, that's huge. That's huge because Disney says it's not. Disney says we go to we go to you know video we go to Disney Plus sometimes day and day. Warner Brothers has day and day. Some of them have 30 days you know, before they hit, you know, their, their streaming. So this is a big deal that they said 120 days rather than 90 or 45 or 30 or day and date. They chose to, they chose to not go day and date onto Peacock. They chose not to say within 30 days, we're going that right part to is Peacock. A big deal. They, no pun intended. I know we're not going right. to Yeah. 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 And, uh, like they did, by the way, with Boss Baby, they went straight to Peacock with Boss Baby and day right. and date. And right. they're saying we're not doing that in the future. That's not our goal. That's not our, that's not our plan. Right. And basically what Universal is saying here is that the pay one window, this 18-month window, is one where HBO would traditionally come in or Cinemax or Showtime would come in and, and buy those rights. What they're saying is, no, we're going to take those rights. Okay. Now that window starts 120 days after, as we all know. Uh, and... So, they sold no. They sold them to Amazon Prime instead right. of HBO. They have a new partner. It's not. They didn't keep those rights. They sold them to Amazon Prime. They just have a new saying. person making. That's really. They're what not they're saying. saying anything. They're saying we've made a deal with Amazon rather than HBO. That that's no change. Right. They However, always sell it off the to somebody. One, who they, is the pay one partner for Disney? There is none. You know who Disney's pay one partner is itself. Disney Plus. And you know who's right? Yeah. So. And the same thing with Warner Brothers. Who's their pay one partner? Their pay one partner is HBO yeah, Max. Universal wants to double dip. They want Windows. They like the idea yeah. of having Windows when they get multiple people to pay for it. They got Amazon to fork out money. They got IMDB to fork out money. They like that model. And in midst of that model was the idea that they also like theatrical. They are emphasizing a four-month window for theatrical as a possibility, unlike 
anybody else, nobody else has even pretended to embrace a 120-day theatrical window. If they'd said 90 days, we'd have said, that's awesome. But they chose to say a four-month window. They can, I'm sure, move earlier if they want to. Oh, they're definitely going to be putting their own films on PVOD. Without a doubt, they're owned by a cable channel. We we didn't didn't say they weren't. That's got nothing to do with anything. We're talking about going to Peacock. We're talking about when they do it. Not that, of course, they're going to, everybody makes things available on demand. Everybody does. But we're just saying they emphasize theatrical. They emphasize and embrace theaters and said, we love theaters. We're not looking to rush it to Peacock. We're going to give you time to make money. That's a big deal, isn't it? Aren't theater owners thrilled at this announcement? Yeah, they're not thinking. They're not. They're not. They're not going. Oh God, Amazon Prime. Ten months after it hit, you know, eight months after it hits theaters, they don't care about that. They're excited that Universal said we're supporting the theatrical experience by giving potentially a four-month window for movies to be exclusively in theaters. Even though we have Peacock and we're pushing the hell out of it, we are going to wait and let that theatrical run play out. Right, and then use it as their pay one partner. Yes, that is that right there is the big. So, aren't theaters thrilled that they're supporting theatrical? Yes, of course they are. It'll be very, and I think they're right. also well, waiting, that was the- also waiting to see what are you going to do with Pivot. And if you if you wait the forty five days, with- you know what? Let's actually see how that plays out. That's really what they're saying. That forty five day window that kind of might be perfect for us. What so? What 45-day window? What 45-day window? There is a 45-day window in place for Universal Films that is a deal between some of the major exhibitors in the world and Universal Studios. That's the COVID COVID one, yes. And now they've moved away from that. No, it's still in place. It is still in place. this This is 2022. This is in 2022. That deal is not in perpetuity. They're saying in 2022, we're supporting a four-month theatrical window. Well, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see <laughs> if they... They just announced it. They, they just announced it. If they wanted a 45-day window, they could have said it, and we would have thought that was good. If they'd announced a 90-day window, they could have. Nobody would have blinked an eye. They chose to say 120 days. Why don't you listen to them? Because they don't they have- said 120 days. They did, not me. They had a 45-day agreement with theaters, and now they have announced a 120-day theatrical window. Is that not something Celluloid Junkie is writing about and discussing about why they did it and asking them for feedback and saying, are theaters excited by this? What does this mean? We've been actually talking to they- theater owners, and again, I can tell you, this announcement, had no- they don't, didn't have to check with theater owners on this. Not because it's 120 days, but because it's about the pay one window. It has nothing to do with theaters other than the clock starts ticking when it's released in theaters. That's the only difference. But theaters don't care who they sell it to eight months after it's been, you know, in theaters. They don't care who it goes to. They don't whether they they don't no. care whether they make a deal with Amazon Prime or HBO or, or TBS. themselves or even themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. The question that everybody is still wondering is. What are you going to do? You said that, you know, we've all signed this 45 day thing. If it, if a movie makes over $50 million and it's opening weekend, you said you wouldn't put it on PVOD for 45 days. Are you still going to live by that? This is, it sounds like they've doubled down. They're going to live on it times 10. Well, we'll see. That's basically what <laughs> okay. everybody's saying. Remember, PVOD and Peacock are different. Uh, nobody doubts that. Right. <laughs> Not everybody does premium video on demand, do they? Oh, yeah. Everybody. I mean, 
Comcast is one of the biggest premium video on demand providers in North America. Right. Well, I know that. But so every single movie gets released for 20 or $30 for a while before it goes down to six or four. Yes. Right now, that's the, what's been happening. Hell, who, the, who the hell pays $20, $30 to watch a movie when they could wait a few weeks and see it for six? I can tell you four. this. I think what you're saying is what most people are saying. And it's the reason we don't hear any of the returns, except for except right. for Trolls World Tour, where they made $100 million. And isn't that great? Well, that we was, never there, heard there was no theatrical. Yeah. And because we never there was no theatrical what, available. Exactly. Exactly. Right. People died. You've been away for two weeks. We didn't have an episode last week. Are we having an episode next week? You say yes. Yes. Will you be traveling? No, I will be back by then. All right. Some people died, including Director Robert Downey Sr. That's right. Director Robert Downey Sr. died at the age of 85. He's probably best known today as the father of Robert Downey Jr. But the senior Robert Downey was an unconventional director with Putney Swope. First and foremost, in his credits, that was placed on the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Uh, it starred Arnold Johnson as a black ad exec who somehow became the new head of his Madison Avenue agency. In other words, Don Draper's boss. It satirized corporate America, advertising, and of course, that evergreen topic of racism. Robert Downey Jr.'s first appearances were uncredited ones in his dad's movies. And dad also acted modestly in movies like To Live and Die in L.A., Boogie Nights, and the TV series First and Ten. Did you ever watch General Hospital? Oh, yes. I had to have my stories every... No, I didn't watch General Hospital when I was going to school. Uh, Come on. The whole... Well, it was on after school. It was on okay. at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I watched it because it was all the rage there oh, for a while okay. in the 80s. Right. And, and so I'm kind of touched that Emmy-winning actor Stuart Damon and General Hospital's Alan Quartermain died at the age of 84, just months after celebrating his 60th wedding anniversary. He had a quite a distinguished start. He was on Broadway in the Richard Rogers Stephen Sondheim musical Do I Hear a Waltz in 1965. He had the lead role, a lead role. That led directly to being cast as the Prince in a live TV remake of Cinderella, the Rogers and Hammerstein musical. First, it was done with Julie Andrews, this time with Leslie Ann Warren. And that was the one that was broadcast year after year after that first live uh, performance. So that's cool. And once he got that, of course, he was hot potatoes and somehow he ended up in England and he booked a couple shows there, uh, including the champions, this weird cult show, which is sort of like international agents with superpowers. But uh, he had a number of British shows. None of them quite caught on. He was in the West End in some musicals and some shows. And then out of nowhere came General Hospital. He was cast as Dr. Alan Quartermain, who eventually was chief of surgery at what was about to turn into the most popular daytime soap in U.S. history. He had a home there for the next five decades. He was there for 30 years, basically all the time, and his character died in 2003, but he still appeared on the show. They had him on there as Alan's ghost. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was all about General Hospital. So uh, I remember him well. As soon as I saw his pictures, oh my gosh. And this is important to remember. I've seen this on some other uh, obituaries, and we haven't always mentioned it. According to IMDb, Damon was a resident at the Motion Picture and Television Fund Retirement Home in the Woodland Hills neighborhood of L.A. I mean, he's on he's on a soap for 30 years. You would think he'd have all the money in the world. He chose to be there. Uh, people who don't always have money, I think, end up there. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't the case for him, but it's a great place as far as I know, and it's a charity, and I think you can support it. And a lot of uh, older actors end up there. It's a, it's a great place to live, I think. So if points. you're there at the Motion Picture and Television Retirement Fund, let us know. 
Yes, uh-huh. and, a, and a couple points. One, they actually did a whole segment of on the uh, you know motion picture and television fund retirement uh, home and, and facility during the Oscars this year. That was what they were referring to. Yeah. Number one, number two, I could yeah. walk to this facility in probably ten minutes. It's right around the corner from me, and uh, and if you did, could you could say hi to all these cool people you, that you would you recognize? know what Helen They'd Reddy Helen Reddy uh, lived there. Uh, Alan Davio mm-hmm. lived there. Uh, the cinematographer of E.T. and others. Uh, and and now, of course, we're, we're learning a, about a few others. Uh, COVID did not help uh, in terms of hearing about no. this. The, yeah. But, you know, uh, you, you know, we're talking about a lot of people who worked and lived in, in the U.K., America, and Europe. Uh, what about India? That's right. One of India's biggest movie stars has died. Dilip Kumar was 98 years old, and the word beloved doesn't seem too strong. He apparently was a cross between Marlon Brando and Tom Hanks, both in terms of his huge popularity and his huge influence as an artist. He broke out in 1949 in the film Andaz, opposite another big superstar, actor Raj Kapoor. They would both shoot to fame. One of his films was the highest grossing film in India and held that title for 11 years. In fact, as Jeff Boucher would say, it's still the highest grossing film of all time when you adjust for inflation. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Kumar reportedly turned down a role in David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia, for which Omar Sharif says, thank you. Yes. <laughs> While the entire country celebrated his legacy, even Narendra Modi, the prime minister, it's important to note he was born into a Muslim family in what is now Pakistan. His birth name was Mohammed. And he had to later change that so he could gain wider acceptance from audiences. Uh, there's a lot of problems with the treatment of Muslim people in India. The government's trying to turn them into second class citizens. So while they all praise and honor him, the fact is there are people on the far right who say movies showing Muslim actors shouldn't even be screened in India. There was a time when they were attacking theater owners and saying you shouldn't even show movies with Muslim actors in it. So. Uh, important to remember, this guy's beloved, and it came from an era when it wasn't a big issue that he was a Muslim. And finally, this is a crazy story. He was romantically linked to a co-star in the early days of his career during the 50s. And then at one point, her father sued because they were making a film and they were going to go on location. The dad said, it's a ruse. He's just going to seduce her. And it was this huge public scandal. The father sued. He sued the director. Kumar testified in court supporting the director, saying he was telling the truth. And against the father and the daughter, the lawsuit was dropped. The girl could have gone to jail. Their relationship ended. It's just a crazy, crazy, uh, crazy romantic tale. I mean, I can't even imagine that. But he overcame that and went on to a great, great career. Now, this next story was a gut punch for me because I worked with Allison Greenspan for several years. Oh. When she was working uh, on the desk of Jack Rapke at Creative Artists Agency, she was uh, always very nice to me, always great. She uh, went on to leave Creative Artists Agency at working with Jack Rapke and went to Image Movers, uh, Robert Zemeckis' company. Uh, and, and, and then she went off and became a producer. And she's produced uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, A Walk to Remember, uh, she worked with Denise DeNovi a lot. Uh, she did a, a, you know, I guess she was doing For Life recently. Uh, I guess, and that just got canceled, I think, by ABC. Uh, and, you know, I think probably the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is where she will uh, best be known from. But she was only 48. She died of, of cancer. And it was just, it's one of those gut punches when you realize somebody that you worked pretty closely with. Uh, and yeah, I hadn't talked to her in years, but still. Uh, a very nice person. That's really, yeah, that's really hard. And it scares you because you think, wow, I could die too. 
And uh, her show, For Life, was just canceled by ABC after two seasons. However, we've mentioned them a couple times. IMDb TV is streaming all the episodes. They just picked it up, and they're leaning towards a third season if interest is strong. So if you like that show, you want to support Alison Greenspan's work, check it out on IMDb TV. And also Suzanne Douglas of the Parenthood sitcom died at 64. That's very young. She starred on Broadway in shows like The Tap Dance Kid. She was in films like School of Rock. Yay! How Stella Got Her Groove Back. She appeared on a ton of TV, ranging from the classic drama I'll Fly Away, I Wish I Could Watch That, to a recent episode of Bull. But her biggest success came in the sitcom The Parenthood, alongside co-creator and star Robert Townsend. So that's a tough one, too. And then, of course... Now, Richard, Richard Donner. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was headed. He died at the age of 91. Now, he directed definitely some movies you've seen. The Goonies, The Omen, a whole bunch of Lethal Weapon movies, and Superman the movie, the one with Christopher Reeve. Uh, so I mean, that's this, right. That's still the gold standard for superhero movies. That is the greatest superhero movie of all time. He was a nice Jewish boy from the Bronx. His parents owned a fan furniture manufacturing business. He said, I want to be an actor. He got a bit part on a TV show somehow directed by Martin Ritt, who turned into a great director. And Ritt said, you know what, kid, as an actor, you'd make a good director. <laughs> and he convinced him to switch careers. And Donna went to work for him and never looked back. He did a lot of TV, did a lot of movies. Uh, you know, the Omen was a big hit, but, but it's all about Superman, the movie that is such a great movie, such great stories about it. And if you go to Jeff Boucher's podcast, we talk about his career at length because Jeff spoke to him many, many times, had a lot of heartfelt stories about, about Richard Donner. It's well worth checking out. And, uh, you have somebody here who, uh, you know, I'm hoping I actually never need need to speak with somebody who takes over for Paul Huntley because that would mean that I need a wig. I've lost my hair. Uh, but he, well, he doesn't, he doesn't make two pays. He doesn't make two pays. Okay. He's a wig maker to the stars. He died at the age of 89. He's one of Hollywood's hidden masters. I wish I'd done a documentary on him. He sounds like a great, you know, like a blast. And he worked right up to the end. He created wigs for decades in film, TV, and theater. He did the wigs that turned Dustin Hoffman into Tootsie in the movie, and then he did it again on Broadway for Santino Fontana when he starred in the musical version. In all, he had more than 50 film and TV credits, including Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille in the live-action 101 Dalmatians. He did The Addams Family. He did Betty Buckley in Tender Mercies, where she had that great wig as a country singer, and Elizabeth Taylor in Cleopatra. That's got to be one of the most famous hairs in all of Hollywood history. But it's Broadway where he made his biggest mark. He was even honored with a special Tony. He did it all. Starting in the early 70s, he did Patti Lapone in Evita. He did the Cats in Cats. He did Harvey Firestein in Hairspray. The ABBA musical Mamma Mia. Thoroughly Modern Millie, La Caja Foe. And right up to the end, he's done the upcoming musical about Diana, Princess of Wales. It's going to stream on Netflix and then open on Broadway. Uh, a fabulous career, I guess, for Paul Huntley. And it was, it's been a fabulous uh, run here uh, for the past uh, probably four hours. I don't know how long we've been talking. I've lost all track of time, really, uh, here in Cannes. But uh, that's pretty much the end of our show. Except we do have all to right. tell you where, where you can subscribe to us, which is pretty much wherever they give podcasts away, like, you know, iTunes. Is iTunes still around or is it called Apple Music now? Wherever they, whatever Apple has for podcasts, you can subscribe to us there. Same thing with Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please do subscribe to us. That way you won't miss an episode. You can rate and review us on some of those podcast platforms, and it helps us out when you do. Now, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, 
can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us and even contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. And can you tell that some of the espresso has worn off? <laughs> no, okay. We're also on Twitter, at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's you'll truly believe a man can fly.com. Oh, and that's Superman related, isn't it? That's the ta- that's the tagline for the ads, yes. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? If you have trouble uh, remembering that, just go to michaelgiltz.com, where all of his work can be found, all of his coverage of the entertainment industry uh, can be found. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Man, it's got to be such a bitch when you have to edit it when there's a bad audio and the delay our jokes don't work our banter doesn't work everything's a mess so i feel so sorry